Hello and welcome to the Horn Call podcast, the official podcast of the International Horn Society. My name is James Bolden, publications editor for the IHS and your host for today's podcast. I'm not a fan of really long podcast introductions, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. I want to make sure and get to our uh, awesome guest today, but I thought I would share a couple of things with you uh, here in episode two. Um, as I record this, this is in uh, late August, uh, and we are already in the final stages of preparation for the October 2020 issue of the Horn Call. Um, I, I think we are on track for getting that issue out the door and to your inboxes and to your mailboxes on schedule. So uh, before I go on to any other announcements, I have to say in the last couple of months, I have learned uh, what an incredibly uh, interesting and awesome job it is to um, help put together a journal like the Horn Call. And uh, to be quite honest, I don't know how my predecessor, Bill Scharnberg, balanced all of the amazing things he was doing with his other professional activities as well as putting this journal together um i just i gotta give a big shout out to bill Scharnberg. um you're amazing man you're awesome um another quick shout out if you liked episode one my interview with andrew pelletier and you noticed the transition and outro music uh that was uh a horn quartet recording that we did virtually this summer with my colleagues in the shreveport symphony orchestra that was a um a movement from uh, the Cherepnin Horn Quartets that was La Chasse. Uh, the members of that section are Tom Hundemer, principal, Adam Black, second, Christine Carell, third, and me, James Bolden, fourth. And we did that whole performance uh, and recording uh, virtually um, using our, our smartphones and other technology at home, as, as I'm sure you've seen many of those. And that was a fun way for us to uh, collaborate musically, albeit uh, in a virtual way, and to uh, maintain some contact with our, our audiences out there. Um, I mentioned that this is uh, this intro is being recorded in uh, the last part of August in Louisiana, my home state. Uh, we are still dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Laura. Um, a number of, of really serious consequences of that hurricane that folks are still dealing with, loss of life, loss of power, um, loss of homes and other property. So uh, be thinking about us, and my, uh, my heart goes out to anyone who was affected by Hurricane Laura, and uh, so we hope to be back on our feet uh, as soon as possible. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say before we get to our, our guest today uh, is to be sure, if you are an IHS member, to go check out the IHS virtual workshop at hornsociety.org. There are hours of amazing content here that is provided for um, IHS members. Uh, it's in lieu of um, the 52nd International Horn Symposium, which unfortunately had to be canceled because of COVID-19. But... Um, the team of uh, Lydia Vandriel, Dan Phillips, and Jeff Snedeker 
put together an amazing virtual workshop complete with an exhibit hall and lots of great presentations. Uh, so I hope that you will continue to check that out. It's not going to be available forever. Uh, it's only going to be available for a limited time. So if you have an interest in anything like that, please make sure to go to hornsociety.org. And without further ado, my guest today is a prize-winning composer and hornist from Portugal, uh, Ricardo Matosinhos. And uh, I think you're going to really love our conversation today. We touched on all manner of topics, uh, his interest in composing. He's written a number of etude books. Uh, he's an awesome horn player and an awesome teacher. And he's also working on his Ph.D., uh, as if all of the other things he was doing weren't enough. So without uh, further delay, here is our interview with Ricardo Matosinhos. My guest today, we are very pleased to be speaking with Ricardo Matosinhos uh, from Portugal. Thank you so much for being here, Ricardo. It's an honor for me and a pleasure uh, to speak with you after all these years speaking by email. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I think I first heard from you maybe about 10 years ago. Yeah, maybe, like maybe when my... My etudes were published. You were so kind and generous, and you sent me, you know, uh, copies of them, and they were just fantastic. You're 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 widely published now. You've written a bunch of different etude books, and um, you've got some really great videos up on YouTube of you performing, as well as uh, I think people will probably be most familiar with you either through your etude books or through the um, uh, Matazinos Challenge. Do you want to talk yes. a little bit about that and kind of explain? Because you've done this a couple of times now. Uh, yes, with different um, ideas about it. Uh, the first um, competition, Matuzinho's YouTube competition, mm -hmm. was the, the first name. Um, back then, I, I, I published my first book of etudes. And then uh, the second and third book were already written. And um, I talked with the publisher about the idea of making an international competition. This way, people could play the, the etudes, uh, have fun, and uh, so it, it would be win-win for everyone. Yeah, and it, it, people from all over the world participated, from not just from Portugal, but from all over. Yes, from all over the world, uh, there were participants. Then a few years later, there was a second competition when the, the third, uh, fourth book was released. And um, now with uh, this pandemic, I had the idea in May to, to, to do a Matosinhos challenge over the, the Facebook. And that was based on uh, an excerpt from one of your etudes, right? Yes, it was one etude, one etude from the Lowhorn etudes. So the idea was everyone is at home. Um, everyone is trying to keep in shape, um, wondering when the next concert will be. So it's a perfect opportunity to, to people have fun playing the, the etudes, also for promoting the etudes. Again, it will be win-win. Uh, and uh, 
the response of the people was very interesting. Uh, I had people saying, um, I, I knew I had to work on the Lohorn, uh, a Lohorn range, but this was the perfect excuse to work on this range. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the level of playing was incredibly high. I mean, there's such, such great players, uh, people I had heard of, and then people I didn't know just from all over the world. So that was, that was really cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how, how the pandemic kind of unfolded in Portugal. Um, but before we do that, for, for people who might not be familiar with your etudes, could you talk a little bit about um, how many you've written? It's, it's been, you know, five or six books, I think, something like that. Uh, there are uh, four books of mm -hmm. etudes. And there is uh, also an, um, a book for beginners that has 20 uh, easy etudes. Okay. Yeah. And, and you've won uh, prizes from the International Horn Society for your compositions? Yes. Um, the Low Horn Etudes um, um, received an honorable mention in one of, the, um, one of the International Horn Society composition contests. And uh, two other of my pieces also received prizes. Uh, it was the Reflections for Horn Solo and uh, the piece, the horn calls you back for two horns and piano. Yeah, and, and uh, we, I certainly want to talk about those a little bit more as well. And so your etude books are, uh, in my experience, they're really fun. They're fun to play, but very challenging. Um, and I remember when you, you sent them to me, you, you had recorded all of them. So, you know, you can actually play everything in the book, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, they cover uh, kind of an unusual area for horn players, right? The, some of them are quite jazzy, jazz influence. Yes, there is a, uh, some jazzy influence. Probably this is due to uh, Arkady Schilklopper. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the first uh, first time I heard Arkadish Lopper was, whoa, the horn can do that. Uh, so it was a great influence for me. And uh, I was having some uh, jazz lessons with a saxophone player, not to, in order to play in a, in a jazz group, but in order to know a little bit more the jazz world. And uh, the first uh, of the books was composed around that time. But uh, the jazzy style has uh, another idea. Sometimes we, we know what we need to, to work on the horn, but uh, we are just waiting for the perfect excuse. So uh, because dudes are fun, people uh, dare to try, to try them and to work on those passages that we know we need to, to practice them but uh, if the dudes are quite boring <laughs> and difficult, uh, no one will practice them. If they are difficult but fun, okay, <laughs> we have the, the perfect excuse. No, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think, I think you've hit, hit the mark exactly in these etudes. They are, um, they're certainly suitable for public performance. You could use them in a recital or a concert or in a YouTube challenge, <laughs> yes. uh, as, as you did. Um, yeah, so that, but they also are, you know, really good for working on some techniques of horn playing that we might not be exposed to otherwise. We, we, you don't necessarily run across this kind of stuff, uh, jazz articulations, multiphonics, um, you know, glissandos, half valve, 
those sorts of things you're not going to run into in, in Koprash. <laughs> yeah, but actually, uh, relating, for example, on the multiphonics, of course, they are cool to play. And um, in the horn repertoire, uh, we need them for forever, a few contemporary pieces and nothing more. Uh, but uh, I find them very interesting to control the aperture. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to, to play multiphonic, you use the same air both for singing and playing. So in order to play a multiphonic, uh, people learn how to control the aperture. And then even if it, they are playing without multiphonics, it is easier to focus the, the sound. Also, in some etudes, the multiphonics are by the end. It's, it's like a, a carrot. If you <laughs> play this etude, by the end, there will be a small multiphonic. That's right. And, and uh, it also develops the ear because you're having to, you know, hear those intervals above the, yes, the notes yes. that you're singing. So, no, that's... Kind of like the, the, this book by uh, Lewy. Mm -hmm. It has also multiphonics in the end. Oh, as sort of the the reward. <laughs> no, that's that's fantastic. So you've got um, you've got the low horn etudes, the jazzy etudes. Um, any any projects you're currently working on in terms of uh, more compositions or etudes? Um, I have another etude written. Probably it will be included uh, in another book. But right now I'm uh, trying to finish my my PhD thesis, so I have a lot of work now. <laughs> uh, but probably there will be another book. Uh, I have a, a book of exercises that is written about uh, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> written 10 years ago. Um, but I'm now trying to find um, time to, to finish the, the project. It's okay. an interesting idea. Uh, there is nothing about an exercise that tells that this exercise is difficult or easy. It depends how do you play this exercise, which uh, tempo, dynamic, uh, etc. If you are doing in one key, in several keys, with different rhythms, articulations, etc. So the idea, uh, uh, there are some patterns, some exercises, and then the way of doing these exercises will uh, state the level of difficulty of the exercises. It's a huge project. The exercises are already written. I just need some time to, uh, after the PhD, it will be the next project. Well, I, I gotta tell you, Ricardo, uh, it, it, based on what you've done so far, you've, you've done enough for a PhD. Is, is, do you have to do um, a separate dissertation or a separate thesis uh, in addition to what you've already done? Uh, yes, this, uh, this um, research, uh, it will be about um, an analysis of the idiomatic elements present in a selection of pieces written by horn players. Okay, yeah. That sounds like so, a PhD dissertation, but yes. and now you've already you've also got a website too where you catalog all these different etudes, right? I for some reason I was thinking that was for your PhD. No, what's was for my master. Okay, I see. For my master. Uh, this this website was uh, on Google, 
mm-hmm. Google Fusion. Uh, now Google stopped uh, the Fusion project. I'm trying now to, uh, I was speaking with Dan about the possibility of uh, um, making this uh, project uh, inside the um, uh, International Horn Society website. So Dan is trying to figure out uh, a way. That would be fantastic. And especially there's a new initiative in the IHS to be more uh, of an educational resource for not just for horn players, but for music educators, you know, band and orchestra directors who may not be as familiar with the horn as we are, but still have to teach it. So, uh, and and to to step back for a second. So your, why don't you, you talk a little bit about what that is, because not everybody knows that that resource is out there, especially if, so you're saying the hosting has, has disappeared for it. It's not up anymore. Yes. The, the hosting is not uh, available. So I spoke with Dan about the possibility of uh, um, including this research project mm-hmm. in the International Horn Society website. This was, uh, was done for, for my master and um, my master degree and uh, the research included etudes written from um, 1950 until uh, 2011. And then I continue adding more etude books. Uh, on this project, there are uh, small descriptions about every etude book covering the range, the dynamic range, uh, special techniques, uh, the size of the etudes, etc. So it's a, a good way to know a little bit uh, better the etudes before uh, buying them. Yeah, and it's a um, it's a searchable database, right? You can you can search for a specific composer or a specific book, right? Yes, it it was searchable. I, I'm not sure how it's gonna be now on the new uh, project, but let's hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, well, I. I I, that's the first I'm hearing of this, and that's fantastic. I think that's really awesome. And this is Dan Phillips, who's the web manager for the International Horn Society. He, I, I'm betting Dan is going to be able to work his magic. So that's really awesome. That'll be another reason for people to go to uh, hornsociety.org. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've not, I didn't know that the hosting had had gone away, um, but I have been to that resource several times through your website, and it was it was fantastic. So I certainly hope that it it comes back up very soon. Um, so obviously this, uh, I don't know exactly when people will be listening to this. Hopefully if it's, uh, you know, months from now, the pandemic will be uh, something in the past. But um, as of right now, when we're recording this, it is still very much a major issue around the world. Um, how are things in Portugal right now? Uh, things are starting to look better. Um, two days ago was, was the first time that uh, there was no, uh, no death uh, in one day since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, let's see how it goes. I, I, I feel that people are, um, are rela- relaxing now, so uh, I'm not sure how it's going to be in September. Right, right. And so... Um... Was it? It was in March, I guess, when things started getting uh, more more serious. Yes, uh, over the Europe, uh, uh, there was this virus, but there were no virus in Portugal. People were even joking. Okay, the virus don't, doesn't want anything with the Portuguese. 
And um, suddenly, one of the first, first people that got infected was a musician that okay. uh, came from Italy. And suddenly, people start realizing that musicians travel a lot. And in orchestra, they have contact with people uh, that uh, have been around a different country. And suddenly, people start to be scared about right. it. Uh, this was really quickly. Um, people even they don't uh, they were not believing on, on it because it was like we were on war, but there were no uh, uh, no bombs. Yeah, yeah. It was really strange, and suddenly schools um, uh, started to close. There was a lockdown. Uh, kind of the, the same that you had in. Uh, in in the United States, and uh, now people are trying to to get to the normal life again. Right now, in terms of where were you in the school year in March? Was school about to end, or had the school year not begun yet? Uh, there are two weeks holidays, and uh, around Easter, okay. and this happened about two weeks before the holidays. So we had two weeks to to adapt with mm -hmm. online uh, classes. Uh, I had experience with online classes, but my students <laughs> didn't because usually I, I don't do online classes with my own students. Uh, so it was, uh, everything was very quickly. Um, for the older students were quite easy, not for the younger ones. Mm -hmm. For the younger ones uh, was kind of a nightmare because they, they don't even know how to proper hold the horn and now how to configure the computer. So those students, they needed uh, their parents' help to, right. to, to help them. Yeah, so, uh, and, and this leads me to my, um, uh, I guess my next question is about your article in the Horn Call about um, effective teaching for online lessons. So could you talk about um, obviously, the article is a fantastic resource. I hope everyone reads it. Uh, just some really great practical information about teaching, not just horn lessons, but this could be applicable to any kind of uh, music teaching online. Could you talk about how you developed your strategy for teaching online and ways that um, you adapted to that? The first uh, thing I did was I, um, I called all the parents one by one and uh, and told them i will send you an email with further instructions i, I just did this call and asked them to to join the um, the google classroom this way uh, you more uh, every time i sent a message i was talking to everyone uh, so this way uh, at least once i need to 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 call to everyone so then I, I, I did um, instructions about how to set up everything. Um, and then uh, as the, 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 the lessons um, started to, to, to run online, I was helping the, the students to overcome any technical issue. The first question was about microphones, because usually students don't have a, a, a good microphone. So I, I told them um, to, to buy a, a better microphone, at least. Uh, some parents, uh, at first, they, they thought, okay, maybe this is too much. 
So I start, started recording with the sound I was getting and telling the parents, look, this is the sound I'm getting. It is very difficult for me to give a feedback if the sound is not okay. Uh, so uh, most of the parents uh, understand that. And um, so they acquired better microphones. And from uh, that on, the classes were almost normal. There were some adjustments we need to, to do. Uh, there are some latency, so you cannot uh, clap your hands right. uh, at the same time of the students or play together. Uh, but for the older students, it was uh, okay. And even for some students, I felt that they were practicing more on this uh, system. Well, that's interesting. So uh, what do you think about this new way of teaching resulted in the students practicing more? The question is, um, you have an on online class. Mm -hmm. It's not, uh, so you don't, uh, uh, you are saving some time. You don't need to get a bus to go to the class, to go to the, the school. So uh, you have more time to practice at home. I'd say that makes sense. Uh, so yeah. for, for the older students, for some of the older students, I felt them more concentrated about the, the goals of uh, each class. Mm -hmm. Of course, for some bad students, it was the same. Students that didn't practice at all uh, wasn't this system that made them practice. But for uh, good students, or at least students that want to improve even if they are having difficulties it was a good system no that's that's really fascinating did you find that most of your students had a pretty good internet connection or did it vary depending on maybe their their location it was depending on the location for sure uh, there was one or two situations uh, where I had to uh, do crazy connections like uh, ju just having the, um, the, the video from the internet mm -hmm. and having the audio from a mobile phone yes, or something yes, like that. Yeah. So we had to adjust. Uh, for some students, uh, we used a system of doing recordings. So in the beginning of the class, you are uh, listening to the recording uh, because uh, if there are some uh, connection problems, the connection, the recording helps to uh, to to keep a, a better sound quality. I see. Now that makes sense. Um, did you find yourself teaching differently, or did you pretty much do the same things that you would do if you were in 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 the same room with the student? I I, <laughs> I had to adapt also. Sure. Uh, usually, uh, I, I I was I had experience with online teaching but just a few lessons, online lessons. Uh, now uh, I have a 27 inch monitor in front of me, another uh, 13 inch monitor, and sometimes even the, the iPad. <laughs> uh, so if you are uh, teaching all day online, you really need uh, to, to have all the music uh, in front of you to, to share the music with the student and make some annotations. Because something easy, like taking a pencil and write something on the score, you cannot do it anymore. Right. Uh, so um, it is quite different. I felt about the recordings that 
the information that I gave to the students were more focused. I see. Because sometimes, as a teachers, as teachers, we we give a lot of information to 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 the students, but sometimes we we can um, make a summary uh, in uh, five points. Uh, the student missed this attack, but, but uh, on the fourth um, stave missed this attack. So these are about missed attacks. Mm -hmm. So if you listen to the recording and, can, and, and then tell the student about the recording, you can uh, tell the student, this was the, these were the best points, these was the points that you need to improve. So it is uh, easier to, to, to give the message to the student. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I know that that was a technique that a lot of um, music teachers in, in the United States were using is having the students record separately something, an etude or a solo or an excerpt and send that in. And then the teacher would listen to it and then they would meet, you know, on, on online for a conversation about uh, the recording. So that, yeah, that, that certainly is uh, an effective way to, to do that. Um, did you find that... Uh, were any students trying to use like just their phone to do their lesson or did most all of them have a computer or tablet? There were some students, unfortunately, with the phone. Uh, I tried to convince some of them, uh, but sometimes it was not simply possible. Right. Because uh, their, um, their sisters and brothers were also having lessons online. Their parents were working online. So... Um, this was was too fast, too fast. So I tried to adapt, tried to convince the, the students to uh, get better gear uh, for those uh, with, um, with um, uh, a nice microphone on the computer. It was okay. Right. Yeah, that was that was my experience. Of, it, it so much depended on Internet and then what what kinds of technology the students had had access to. So, no, that um, I, I don't think online teaching is going away. I think, uh, you know, even in some places that are back to face-to-face -to -face learning in, in the event that things were to get worse, then they have to go back to online teaching. So it's um, for those that have kind of resisted it, I think this was certainly a wake-up call that <laughs> we kind of have to, yes. to get ready. For sure, the world won't be the same again. Does, yes. doesn't make, it doesn't... Um, doesn't uh, mean that it will be worse. For sure, people that never had an on online class uh, tried an online class. People that never gave an online class tried for the first time. And uh, imagine, for instance, restaurants. Some restaurants never uh, uh, tried the takeaway system. And some people never tried the takeaway system. And now they tried. So I think uh, need to, people need to adapt to this new system. It will be better. It will be different. That's absolutely right. Um, so we, you know, we could talk about. I, I, I'm a technology person myself. I, I I enjoy talking about it. I'm not an expert, obviously, but you know, it's it's endlessly fascinating to me. Um, let Let's talk a little bit about uh, your your personal playing in in on the horn, what did you find yourself doing 
differently or the same now, you know, once concerts and solo performances were not possible anymore, how did you stay motivated to, to keep practicing the horn and to stay interested in, in what you were doing? So right now I'm, I'm doing a research uh, mm -hmm. for the, the PhD. So I have some, some pieces to, to, uh, to, to play, to make some analysis, not the, the regular analysis, but an idiomatic analysis. Mm -hmm. So my focus were those pieces. Uh, I already uh, gave some recitals with some of the pieces and uh, there will be still some, some pieces that, that will be performed. So my goal was thinking forward to those recitals, whenever <laughs> they will be. <laughs> Have you thought about but doing any live stream uh, of performances or anything like that? I did a live stream actually uh, during a week. Uh, I, I did some interesting stuff uh, on the weekends. There were people that went to the beach. So I... I I gave some online uh, sessions about Dorico, the scoring program that I, I'm using. Also, mm -hmm. I, I'm a um, um, certified trainer for this software. So I gave free online uh, sessions for those who, who were at home and not in the beach. I see. Is this a, a music notation software? Yes, a music notation software. It was released uh, four years ago. It's okay. an it's amazing. called or Oracle? Dorico. Dorico. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dorico. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. And uh, for a, an, an entire week before, um, before Easter, I, I did uh, daily uh, horn sessions uh, during the holidays, the Easter holidays, mm -hmm. uh, horn sessions for, uh, for free on the internet. So the idea was to keep my students engaged uh, and to other students that want to, to practice. Of course, these were not uh, regular lessons because I was not listening the people on the other side, but I was playing some exercises and uh, people could ask some questions on the chat. Uh, so I, I was also having the perfect opportunity to, to practice some basic, uh, basic routines during that, that week with uh, the students and everyone that wanted to listen. Well, that's fantastic. I was just going to ask, was the response to that pretty good? It was very interesting. Uh, people fr uh, mostly from Portugal, from, from Brazil, from Spain, of course, because of the language, I was doing this in Portuguese. Mm -hmm. uh, but the response was uh, very interesting, uh, especially uh, I have a, a good connection with Brazil. I already gave a lot of online lessons to Brazil and some people from Brazil uh, were um, asking more questions about uh, uh, the lessons, about some of the exercises they, that they, they were listening. So it was very interesting. And, and uh, there were people that, uh, that came the entire week. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's really good. And so are you on, um, is school on summer vacation now or is school still in session? Yes, uh, now the school is on summer vacation during August. Uh, now I have time to, <laughs> to write my thesis. <laughs> and and when, will, when will classes resume? Uh, they will start again in mid-September. Mid-September, okay. 
Well, I, I, I hope that uh, things get off to a, a good start when, when school starts back for you. And, you know, I, you are an incredibly creative person that was uh, reading all of the things that you are doing and all of the things that you're interested in. Um, and I, I studied with uh, Douglas Hill in, in uh, graduate school and he, he's a composer as well. And so I was always surrounded by, um, you know, brass players and horn players specifically who were uh, not only interested in playing the horn, but interested in doing other things. So um, how, how did you get your start in composing? Composing. Um, my start was about in, when I was 14 years old, uh, having some uh, these regular composition lessons that every musician has. I, I started to make sm some small pieces for piano, for flute. Uh, it was interesting because uh, on those days, I didn't wrote anything for the horn. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> because it was probably too difficult for me. Um, but then I, I continue uh, with, um, with my horn uh, studies. And later, when I started to, to teach, I, I realized that there were some aspects on the repertoire that needed some attention. For instance, uh, easier pieces for low horn, uh, fun etudes, pieces for beginners. So then I started to, to compose, having my students um, as the, an inspiration for those technical exercises. I think that's so often how it starts. We're trying to um, get our students to learn to do something. And so we think, well, what, what's a good exercise for that? And so we write down an exercise for them. And yeah, I, 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 I'm not a composer by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I, I have a, uh, an immense amount of respect for uh, musicians who, who not only perform, but also compose. So. But it's, it's like you said about Douglas Hill, this uh, triangle of teaching, of composing, of performing. Um, people need to compose, even if they want, don't, don't, don't want to be a composer, just to, to know the, the other side. Sure. And uh, also for teaching, uh, a teacher needs to, to perform, or else uh, it is very difficult to say how, how it is to be on a stage if you don't uh, step on a stage for 20 years. That's right. So yeah. um, I, I, I like very much the Douglas Hill approach on the, the creativity. No, it's uh, it, it's it's something that I, I think about a lot. Obviously, I <laughs> um, he had a tremendous influence on me just in terms of the way I approach teaching and just the, my whole philosophy of of music. So that's pretty amazing that uh, you know we can sit here uh, you know thousands of miles apart and and talk about. <laughs> Talk about Doug Hill. I don't know if he'll ever listen to this podcast. Some of my etudes were influenced by, by his book. For instance, the quartertone blues was mm. influenced by the quartertone uh, scales uh, on, on his, his book. Oh, so the thought, extended techniques. Yes, yeah. yes. I thought about, uh, okay, how can we write something on quartertones, but not really... Uh, strange music, blues, something mm -hmm. almost tonal, but not quite tonal. Right. So an idea came from, from that book. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm sure he would, he would love to hear that. Um, and who, who publishes uh, your etude books? Uh, 
the etude books were published uh, by Phoenix Music Publications. This is uh, uh, Carrie Turner and Christina Masha Turner. Christina, no, yeah. no, they are, yeah, now they are with Carrie Turner and Christina. It, it was very interesting that you said that I played all my etudes uh, because uh, the first time I I was trying to get my etudes published, I sent some uh, some emails, and uh, there was one interesting response. Uh, a publisher told me we only published uh, music written for humans. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> so they didn't think it was playable. Yes, and uh, it's very interesting because of all these uh, competitions online. Uh, I, I I think there were no aliens playing them. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were all horn players, and some of them quite young. It's you know, as I said, the level of playing. Uh, especially in Portugal, you, you must be doing something right in terms of music education there. It's, uh, it's incredible. Yes, there is something very special happening in Portugal. This is related with the professional schools. Uh, I studied you know, in a professional school. The professional schools um, were born in the end of uh, the 80s or beginning of the 90s. Uh, the idea of the professional schools in most of the areas, the, the idea of the professional schools is, okay, you learn something for uh, three, four years, and you go to, to, to get a job. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, for instance, in tourism, like fixing cars, etc. And they opened these professional schools for the music, but no one is getting a job playing an instrument for three or six years. So this was uh, conservatories keep uh, having their, their students to the superior schools and universities, but most of the students now are arriving from the professional schools because they have more time to, to play an instrument, more, um, it is more intense. I see. So this system started to, to build a lot of musicians in Portugal. Unfortunately, <laughs> there are uh, just a few orchestras in Portugal, so we start exporting musicians. And I, I'm familiar with uh, one, of your, one of your colleagues, Bernardo Silva. Yes. You know, I have chatted uh, just a little bit on, on occasion because he serves on the uh, advisory council of, of the International Horn Society. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic as well. <laughs> yes, uh, and Bernardo is also very active with a uh, lot of projects, very interesting projects with uh, the horn community. So when uh, I got to ask, when, when is uh, a horn symposium going to be hosted in Portugal, an international horn symposium? That would be fantastic. It would be, it would be <laughs> fantastic, really, really. I, I would say it, uh, when this pandemic is over, could be an ideal. That would be, that would be amazing. I would, uh, I would certainly, certainly sign up for that. And I think that's one of the things that it's getting better, but I just think not enough people know how amazing their, the horn players are around the world. I mean, we, we get used to, uh, you know, the people that we know, and those are the people we listen to and, and look at YouTube videos of our, but there's, there's so much good horn playing going on all over. The question is also uh, uh, always about, um, imagine for those who speak English, it's very easy to get access to everything. For those who speak Portuguese and Spanish, I know wonderful um, uh, players, but they cannot speak English. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, for those, it's it's harder to 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 get people knowing them. Uh, so speaking English is really really uh, an, a great tool to to spread the message. Yeah. Well, and we also need to learn Portuguese and Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I I took some Spanish in school many many years ago, but it's it's been been quite some time. Um, and and for my for my doctorate, we had to take a a translation class in case we ever have to translate a document. I took I took Italian, so um, I I learned a little bit, um, but I could certainly uh, learn a lot more in terms of other languages. If you speak in Spanish in Portugal, almost everyone will understand you. It's Not the similar, opposite. Yeah. If you speak uh, Portuguese in Spain, probably uh, people won't understand. Huh? How interesting. <laughs> Uh, maybe this is related to with the vowels. Uh, in Spanish, everything is more close, more a, e. In Portugal, we have this a, an a, o. So we have the vowel closed and open. And for the horn playing, this is amazing, because if you want to to tell a student to open the throat, uh, you they they know how to do it because of the language. That is interesting. Well, and then yeah, I. I don't know if someone has done a study on this yet. It would be probably pretty difficult to figure out, but the, the extent to which regional and national languages affect horn playing and the sound and the, the tone and articulation, all of those things, it has to have an effect because it's, it's so uh, related to the, the vowels and the, the oral cavity, all of that stuff. So that would be, if somebody's probably... looking to do a dissertation on it, some... <laughs> Yeah, could be a, a wonderful project. <laughs> well, uh, Ricardo, I don't want to keep you too long today. Uh, thank, thank you so much for doing this. Um, uh, th this has been a fascinating conversation, and uh, I, I know one that listeners are going to be really interested in. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. <laughs>